Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. We're in our present series. We're into the disciplines at the moment. And um, last week we looked at space or margins, we called it. And this week we're going to take a look at study. And next week Dave's going to lead us um, to take a look at um, Sabbath. Um, So, uh, and this is why we're teaching the disciplines is we're, we, well, let me put that up and that'll help us a little bit. We're teaching the disciplines because um, Jesus used the spiritual disciplines to listen to his father and do what the father wanted him to do. Remember, we talked about this, how um, Jesus was uh, uh, the one who was fully God and yet he was fully human. I said this last week, we, we used the, 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 the phrase, the God man. I'm not overly fussed on it, but I don't know anything better um, to explain it. He was altogether God, and yet he was altogether human. And, um, and so what we're going to do, we're talking about the disciplines at the moment, so that after Christmas, we're going to take from Christmas to Easter at least to talk about spiritual gifts, and we're really looking forward to that. We've put a lot of work into that, spent a a few hours this week working at Lorraine said to me, what were you doing all morning? And I said, we were working on our series between um, Christmas and Easter. Um, And so it was really, really good. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is um, I want to talk to you about what you believe. Because what you believe really matters. What you believe really matters. And I think what's happened in Northern Ireland especially, and maybe further afield, I think what has happened is there are um, we've grown up in a society that has taught us how to behave, and there's not much wrong with that uh, at a first glance. So we're all taught how to behave, but if, if our beliefs form out of our behavior, I think you've got a problem. Your behavior needs to form out of your beliefs. And so what has happened is we've grown a generation that behave okay, but they don't really know what they believe. They behave, and we behave sometimes out of guilt and shame. We behave because if we do something wrong, we get guilty and we get shameful, and so we behave ourselves okay, but our belief structure is weak. Our belief structure is way down the pile somewhere. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to turn that around, and I want to talk to you about what you believe really matters because this will form your behavior. And uh, to do that, we're going to read from um, John's epistle. Now, John's one of my favorite books in the Bible, the epistle, gospel as well. But the epistle, he is in his 90s when he writes it. John died at Eddie 99. So he's an old man. He's coming near the end of his life. Um, he's the only surviving member of the, of the apostolic band. They've all died by uh, martyrdom, really. And he's the only one left alive. They did try to get rid of him a few times. They boiled him in oil. And um, they exiled him to Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. And here he is. Um, The church is now, um, 70 years have passed from Jesus has died. And um, John has watched the church diminish um, in some shape or form. And a thing had crept into the church called Gnosticism, and um, not what Gnostics believed was Gnostics believed in dualism. They believed that you could believe 
you could have a faith and live whatever way you like. They believed that you didn't have to live out what you believed. So you could believe in something and you could live immorally. Um, there was loads of other stuff in Gnosticism that was really weird. And so <clears throat> when you come to John's writings, then you realize why John writes very black and white. He writes about death or life. He writes about light or darkness. There's no in-betweens in John. And that's why he's writing that, because uh, he's combating a dualistic thinking, all right? And so this is what he says. He says, dear friends, this is 1 John 4, and I'm reading the first six verses. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. And here's what he says. This is very rampant for today, isn't it? For there are many false prophets in the world. And this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed is already here. Um, just in case you're waiting for him to turn up. He's been about a long time. He's been about a long time. Um, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world, praise God. And then he says this, those people belong to the world, so they speak from a world's viewpoint. That's interesting. And the world listens to them. They talk nonsense. They talk nonsense. And the world listens to them. But we belong to God. And those who know God listen to us. But if they do not belong to God... They do not listen to us, and that is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. I've told you this story a few times, but it bears telling again. I had a friend who, him and I worked together for many years in the lorries, and we were drawn grain out of Scotland into the mills up around Ballymena, and, um, and we were up there one day, and he walked on an ogre. Long story, um, uh, long story short, he lost his leg. And uh, it was a horrific day. I'll never forget it. Horrific day. But um, <clears throat> after he um, got a surgery and um, he got a replacement leg, he walked with a pretty profound limp. And um, he, had, uh, he had 10 kids, <laughs> eight girls and two boys. And um, his little boy, David, um, he said to me one day, he says, Phil, this is the funniest thing. He says, David had just started to walk, and he says, David's walking like this. <laughs> he says, um, and the reason David's walking like that is, is because he's modeling somebody that he loves. He's modeling somebody that he reveres. So he says, I think I'm going to have a bit of work to do. And I said, I certainly do think you are. And, uh, and my fear is, my fear is the closest thing that this young kid was modeling was limping. And so he learned to limp. And my fear is that the church has so many disabled models today that we become a church that's limping instead of leaping. And because we've picked up so many, many disabilities from models that are askew. And <clears throat> could, it be, could it be that our eyes have got off the master plan of Scripture onto strategies and structures that are man-made instead of the kingdom model that is clearly set out for us in Scripture. I had coffee with a friend, and um, 
in, on Thursday over in Costa, and he's a, he pastors a church up the north coast, and he said to me that he was invited to this conference, and the, the, the sort of the highlight of the conference was, we'll teach you how to break the 250 barrier. And if you're in that barrier, we'll break, teach you how to break the 500 barrier. I says to him, did you go to the conference? He says, no, I did not. And I says, good on you, big cross if you went to something like that. Um, and so what we've done is we've, we've looked at, instead of in looking at scripture, we need to understand that if we're going to live like Jesus, if we're going to live like God, we should live as Jesus did. That's a big verse, isn't it? That if we're going to model God, if we're, going to, uh, if we're going to live in God, we should live our life as Jesus lived his, not model something that's limping. There is something about the word that makes us different than everybody else. And that's why I beat this drum all the time, the word, the word, the word, John 8, 32. You've heard me say it hundreds of times. It's not the truth that sets you free. It's your knowledge of the truth that sets you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So when you say the truth sets you free, I will say, let's see it do that. It's not going to do any tricks. All right, it's just leather and paper. Unless it's in your heart and in your mind, that's all it is. And so we don't really talk a lot about what we believe anymore. It's more about how we behave. And John's bringing this challenge to the believer because of the state of the church. The cart is before the horse. And he's trying to fix this. And this book, as I say, was penned at a critical time in church history, much like today, just at the end of the first century when the church had grown at an alarming rate. If we study through Acts, we've done this 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. And by the time they get to Acts 6, they're in pandemonium, pandemonium of how to actually feed and look after. Everybody is getting saved. In 70 AD, the church got scattered. There was significant persecution. And it seems like an emergence of false doctrines have crept in and people were leaving the church and coming up with all kinds of new doctrines. And so John's writing to combat this and settle this truth once and for all. And what he's saying, he's saying what you believe will determine your eternal destiny. What you believe really matters. That's what he's saying, all right? What you believe will dictate how you behave and how you behave determines what you become. I wrote that last night. That's good, isn't it? That's fresh off the prayer. I need to say it again. What you believe will dictate how you behave, and how you behave determines what you become. All right? And right now, you're a byproduct of what you believe, whether you think it or not. You're a byproduct of what you believe, what you believe about marriage, what you believe about raising your kids or work are all centered on what you believe and we're living in an eating day, an eating day. There's unemployment. There's depression. There's depression economically. There's depression politically. There's depression spiritually. There's depression socially. There's depression emotionally. And everywhere you look, people are hurting. People are crying out, looking for uh, an answer. And um, all of these millions of people who are looking for an answer, the good news is we have the answer. His name is Jesus. He is the answer. What's the question, please? Um, now, added to our day is the social network of a million opinions at the touch of a button. We've got Google and Safari. We've got Instagram and Facebook. We've got Twitter, which is now X. Thanks, Elon. And we've got podcasts and God channels galore. Please don't start me about those um, on a myriad of websites, all right? And here's the fact. 
There's a lot of funny, weird doctrine out there. There's a lot of weird doctrine out there. And with people watering down the absolute truth, people say there's no absolute truth anymore. Um, and sound doctrine has been washed away um, in every moment. And people are hurting and looking for answers. And as I say, God knows how many wrong answers are out there. And so in the middle of all this stuff, John comes with this chapter and he says there are two types of people who exist. Those who believe in God and those who don't. <laughs> That's how simple he puts this. And John's talking about the melting pot of distorted truth and challenging us to share our faith with others. And he's saying there's many spirits out there, folks, and you need to test it all. And he's saying don't allow your spiritual destiny to be dictated by an opinion of somebody else. Don't do that, whatever you do. When you stand before God, you will stand alone. My mom used to say this to me all the time. I won't be there for you, son. You'll stand alone before God. And that's true. It'll not be, some, it'll not be a pastor. It'll not be somebody you're following on Facebook. That's for sure. There's a lot of people out in the world at this moment in time who are really passionate about what they believe. And John is saying, be careful. Test it, folks. This is a big deal. Be really careful. And um, out of all the millions of people who have bought into a lie, you know, can I say these are really nice people? And they're probably really good people. And John is asking the question about the spirit of the world, this religious stuff, and people being passionate about a lie when we as believers sometimes don't get passionate about our faith. And every time your heart beats, someone in the world dies without Christ. What's scary as a church? Every time your heart beats, Someone in the world dies without Christ. I showed you these guys before at one time, but they bear repeat. This guy here, James Arthur Ray, he, 2009, he's a self, he was a self-help author, and he'd done this spiritual warrior seminar on holistic cleansing. And what he did was he invited you to um, a Camp Verde in Arizona, and you got to hang out in a sweat tent where he'd done his talk. The problem is three people died and 18 people got hospitalized and he got charged with murder. These are real genuine people. Some of you will be old enough to remember this dude, Jim Jones, in the 70s. Jim Jones was obsessed with Stalin and Hitler and he persuaded 900 people to sell their homes and to move to Guyana, drink Kool-Aid and die. 900 suicides. Jim Jones. And this guy, this guy's scary, Marshall Applewhite, 1996. He started up a group called Heaven's Gates, and he was obsessed with aliens, and he predicted an alien invasion. Now, I'm not making fun. These were genuine people that maybe just didn't get the chance to hear the truth like you and I are hearing this morning. These people put on jumpsuits. They poisoned themselves, and when they stormed the building, 39 of them were dead, and... 72 of them lay unconscious and the spaceship never came. And what John's saying here, it's simple, folks. It's all about Jesus. What you believe really matters. We believe in an all-powerful God. The scripture tells us that inhabits eternity. I love that verse in the Psalms. He's not under pressure with the world economy. Uh, he is in full control. He is all mercy. He's all justice. He is all knowing and he's all love. And he's huge, folks. And the moment you try to define him, you box him in. 
The moment you try to define him, the moment you try to think him out with your mind, you box him in. And the Antichrist spirit tries to deflate him by inflating man. And here's the point. Every time you you deflate God and inflate man, the less need there comes for a Jesus. When we start to inflate ourselves and bring God down to our level, there comes a less need for Jesus. And they tell you that you can bridge the gap yourself like some faiths in the world believe that we're not sinners, that everybody's born good and you weren't born a sinner. The New Age movement believes if you think it, you can become it because you're a God yourself. And this is why Jesus was and is the hope of the world. We all fall short, Romans 3. We all fall short of the glory of God and our nature without Christ is lost. And the reason why Christ is so big is because the gap is so great. That's why he's so big. We cannot do it on our own. He's the only one that can bridge it. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And you say, what's all this got to do with study? I'm trying to talk to you this morning about what you believe. I'm trying to get you. You say you you can bring a horse to water, you can't make it drink, but you can put salt in its oats. And all I'm doing this morning is putting salt in your oats to make you hungry for this word, because this word will change your life. Jesus said, no one can come unto the Father but by me. Christian science doesn't believe Jesus died at all and that there's no power in his blood. That's why we need to invite people because he's not a wee God, a big man, and a a non-existent Jesus. He's a huge God, a little man, and a wildly extravagant Jesus that invites us to his table this morning. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reminds us this, by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. John is saying, anybody can come. This is the first of all. The Hindu religion believe in reincarnation. I have a friend who pastors in India, and he tells me that the rats in India eat 50% of the grain. 50% of the grain, and people are dying of starvation, and they won't kill the rats because they think it's it's a family member reincarnated. Um, They're genuine, lovely people. I've been there. And they're dying because of their belief system. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because we have the answer. We have the answer. And probably this answer that you have, most of you have 10 or 12 of them in your house. Northern Ireland, we're never short of Bibles in the house. The Bible is the word of God. Someone asked Spurgeon one day, was he prepared to defend the word of God? I love his answer. He said, defend it? He says, I'd soon try to defend a lion. God's word doesn't need defending. Just preach it. Let it out of the cage and it will defend itself. I love that. And here's the truth about the word. The truth about the word is, Hebrews 4, we have this living word of God, which is full of energy full of energy. It pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of her being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet and interprets and reveals true thoughts and secret motives of her hearts. What I'm saying to you this morning is what you believe really matters. And you might be in this place this morning and you've never had a true belief in Jesus. This is your morning. This is the morning to change that because the Bible is a divine revelation. In the Bible, we found out what God's mankind, what God wants mankind to know about himself. That's what the Bible is all about, basically. He's trying to tell us 
what he is all about and developing a habit of spending time in this word is essential if we're going to grow and mature in our walk with God. There are two primary Greek words for the word in the Bible. The one is logos, which that is. That's just a written word. It's just, it's just paper and leather. That's all it is. The other one is rima. And the rima word is the word, the, the, the theologians tell us that the rima word means that the word has the power within itself to interpret itself. That's what the rima is. And so when you read something, I, 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 I've told you this before. I remember one time on the boat coming across the lock um, with a load of sand, uh, reading uh, Mark 4, the parable of the sower. And I read that little line. I read that little line. If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any other parable? And it jumped out at me like that. I'd, never, I'd read it hundreds of times, but I'd never seen that line. And I spent about three weeks in that, in that parable trying to figure out. I thought, well, if I don't understand this, how can I understand anything else? That's what the Bible's telling us. So um, it's, it's, it's like uh, in the Matthew 4, 4, it's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every rima, everything that jumps out to proceed. And that's why I say to you, get a journal and write when you're, when you're reading the Bible instead of trying to get to the end of the chapter to get your daily devotion done because you're doing it out of guilt and out of shame. You're doing it because you're behaving yourself. And sometimes our daily habits are just because we're trying to behave and they're not because of what we believe. And we need to believe in this. We need to believe that God will speak out of his word. I pray it every morning. I say, speak, Lord. Your sons and your daughters are listening. I'm not doing that just for a little cliche. I'm doing it because we're listening and we want to hear a rima word, something that jumps out. And the Bible um, I love all of this. I love all the references to the Bible. It's a two-edged sword. We've just read that. It's a hammer, breaks the resistance of the heart. It's a mirror. It reflects the true picture of man. It's a fire. I love this one, the fire. The Word of God is pure and refining. It's a lamp a light to our path, a, a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path. It shows us where we're standing, and it shows us where we're going. All right, all, the, the, this is what we have. The Bible is the only written revelation of God to man. Our Bible was composed, you know this, 66 books by around 40 different writers of various backgrounds during a period of about 1,600 years spread across three continents. They present one message. <laughs> How could that happen? Such a miracle can only be explained by one divine author who was in control of all of these human writers. The Bible writers came from different walks of life, kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, herdsmen, poets, statesmen, scholars, soldiers, priests, prophets, a tax collector, and a tent-making rabbi and a doctor. On and on I could go. The writings contained um, all types, history, law, poetry, educational discourses, songs, romance, parables, biographies, personal letters and prophecy. Who but God could build such a book? It's amazing. It's supernatural in its origin. 4,000 times um, in the Bible you have the reference, thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord came unto me. 4,000 times. Prophecies concerning Christ over a thousand-year period contains hundreds. The Old Testament contains hundreds of references to a coming Messiah, all of which were fulfilled exactly in the coming of Jesus Christ. The biography of the, 
of the patriarchs, the construction of the tabernacle, the building of the temple that we're on in two chronicles at the minute, the services, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, all the types and shadows, all foreshadow Jesus Christ. It's incredible. It's incredible, and we have it in our hands. And although written hundreds of years ago, it's never out of date. It's completely up to date. It's the most available book today. It's full of stories. It's full of love stories and dramas and thrillers. My mom used to say to me, stop reading all that other nonsense. Read your Bible, son. All stories. You want a love story, go to Solomon. Want a bit of adventure, go to Genesis and Exodus. And she would tell me all of these things. And I, I, I love the fact that it's forever settled in heaven. This was established in heaven. And we have it in our hands as the highest moral standards of anybody could ever think. It's impossible for man to achieve them without divine help. Like So for instance, when it tells you to love your enemies in Matthew 5, 44, and do good to those who persecute you. This is what the Bible teaches us. It's divinely inspired. It's, a, it's by the inspiration of God. Um, and it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable to fix you when you're broke for reproof. And it's possible for correction when you're doing the wrong thing. And it's good for instruction in righteousness. All of these things. And God breathed it into man, and man put pen to paper, and here we have it. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? And um, the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to mankind. That's what I've said to you. And um, I could give you a dose of verses about sanctification from the Psalms right through to Timothy. Half a dozen, a dozen verses if you want to come to me, and I'll give them all to you if you'd like. But we're sanctified. That means we're just washed. Ephesians 5 calls it the washing of the water of the word where if you're dirty inside, this is what you need. It's the soap of God's presence and power. And um, a good prayer to pray every time you get into the Bible is this one. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. Mirror's character. Fulfill his commands. Do what he says to do. James 1, 22 to 25. I have it on the screen, but it says, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. For a person, he says, who doesn't do what it says is like a person who looks in a mirror and then forgets what he looks like. Did a shave or did I not shave? That's just for the man, by the way. All right. So be a doer of the word. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Be a doer of the word. And then Jeremiah 15, 16. When your words came to me, he says, I ate them. I ate them. Imagine eating the word. Jeremiah says, eat this word become, where it becomes as important as your food. And Ezra 7, 10 says, Ezra devoted himself to study the word and to teach his decrees and laws to Israel. Yeah. Do the word. Eat the word. Approach the word with a, with a degree of study. I used this little method for years. I say, if you want to stay sharp, here's some things to do. Just study the Word. Study the Word. So a good thing to do is when you get into a, if you're going to read the Bible, think about who wrote it. Just simple questions. Who wrote this passage that I'm reading this morning? And why did they write it? And who did they write it? So who wrote it? Why did they write it? And who did they write it to? Those are just simple questions. And if you're struggling with that, Buy a Bible with life application notes. The life application notes are genius. Yeah. They are incredible. Yeah. 
They are incredible. And you can get them in almost every version of the Bible. It's the Life Application Study Bible. And it's, it's incredible. And, and read that. There's a page or two before every book. And loads of the knowledge that I have in the scripture, I've got our life application notes. I love reading that first section. That's really brilliant. Really, really good. Um, hear the word preached. Um, um, how they, will they hear without a preacher? Um, that's uh, that verse. And then absorb or memorize the word. Get a butt list. Get a list that argues with your head. Get a list that um, I spoke down with Laura at Connections on Friday and I was speaking on that little line that changed my life. He restores my soul. And I remember at my darkest time thinking the Bible said he'd restore my soul, but I have no idea how. I have no idea when. I have no idea what he'll restore. Will he restore my body? Will he restore my soul? What will he restore? And there was a myriad of questions, but I, I thought, I'm going, to believe the, I'm going to believe the word. And so when my mind... And this get into an argument, I'm going to go with this every time. <laughs> and that's why it's important. What you believe really, really matters. Read the word. Get into some kind of systematic or reading plan. The devotions, if you want to look at my face every morning, that's all I'm trying to do is take you through the word. Ponder and meditate on the word. Meditate on a day and night like the psalmist. Sharpen your sword and be skillful in the word. Here's some little practical things that maybe would help. Um, buy a Bible that you can understand. Everyday language like the NLT, the CSB. I've done a little bit of work in this with David Legg. Um, it's called the Christian Standard Bible. It's a new version and it's really, really good. It's really good and the reviews of it are brilliant. CSB, the New King James, the ESV and again I say the life application notes um, are brilliant. I'm struggling a little bit with NIV at the moment because they changed their aspects of stuff in 1984, which I didn't actually realize. And um, I have reasons for that. And if you want to ask me about it, um, I'll talk to you about it. Um, and, and if you're thinking the King James Version is the version that the Apostle Paul had, um, please don't go down that road. Please don't go down that road. I, um, it's, not even a, it's not even a valid argument, honestly. I've been to where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1948, which means our modern versions have around 4,000 original manuscripts back in them. The King James at 400. So I rest my case. It's a lovely old Bible. I was reared on it, and I love it, and I still read it. It's beautiful. But the argument that... We should be keeping to it and not reading modern versions. It's just silly. Stay away from paraphrases. Paraphrases are okay. But when you're reading them, remember. So I have a Passion Bible. Um, I'm careful with it because it's a, it's a paraphrase. Um, and so we've got to be careful with a paraphrase. Is, is they've, just, they've just paraphrased it off another, another Bible. It's not a, a, it's not a translation. All right? So be careful with that. Get a concordance. My mum bought me this for my 18th birthday. What else do you buy an 18-year-old <laughs> child? And uh, it's a strong concordance. It says exhaustive, but it's exhausting reading it, I can tell you. And when you see the print in this, look at that. Look at that. And what kind of a sick 18-year-old highlights Strong's concordance? 
how places in it highlighted. Um, but um, that's what my that's the sort of stuff my mum bought me. But that has been that has been incredible. And the thing about it is, you have now a little phone in your pocket that you can get that on. So it'll save you putting that in your bookshelf. And um, and the thing about it is, you can get it for free. And uh, so you have all of that. You have the Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible is absolutely brilliant. The Bible Project stuff is incredible. Um, if you want to get a good history on the, bo- on the books, get into the Bible Project. Tim, what's his surname? Mackey. Tim, Tim Mackey and his friend. Incredible. Very, it's, it's ingenious, actually. If you're struggling to read, read the Gospels. James is a great wee book. Practical Psalms, Epistles. First, eat small portions daily to start with. Be systematic in reading. Follow a program. If you want to do my devotions, that's great. And set aside a quiet place without disruption. Those are really important. And learn to journal. Learn to scribble. Um, Somebody said to me about books I recommend. I said last week, I'm not the most wonderful reader in the world. Maybe the worship team would come up. I'd love us just to pray a little bit this morning. And we're going to sing that song again, Blessed Assurance. It's an old day. But... um, I, over the last two years, these are a list of books that have been meaningful to me and I feel have really changed me and helped me. Um, there's one I haven't on that, and it's Boundaries by, by Cloud, by Henry Cloud. But um, these are just books that I have read over the last two years. Some of them I've read several times, like Julie Hewitt's book, Diamonds in My Pockets, um, Julie Timlin's books there, and it's incredible, all her um, poetry and um, writings from the shore, um, some great books. Dean Ortland's books, I have a couple of them in there, his, his writings are phenomenal. Um, Al's books there, Luminous Dark, um, if you want to get into some deliverance stuff, Victory Over Darkness, Neil Anderson, Convergence, John Thompson, or They Shall Expel Demons, Derek Prince. Our stuff that I like. Renovation of the Heart was a life changer. Dallas Willard's books, 12 chapters. And there's a study after each chapter. And um, it's, it, it, it'll blow you away. It's incredible stuff. Um, Strengthen the Soul. I didn't put the last little line. I didn't want to put you off. It's called Strengthen the Soul of My Leadership. Um, but it's not really a, just a leadership book. Because we're, we're in the context of maybe the way you think of leadership. Because you're all leading. All of us are leading, all right? And her book is amazing. Any of Ruth Haley Barton's books are really good. And see the last little one. I hear his whisper. That goes with me everywhere. Everywhere I go. Brian Simmons and Gretchen Rodriguez. That's incredible little bit. So there you go. Um, there's no reason not to get studying, all right? There's no reason not to get into the word. I think I've whet your appetite this morning, have I? Um, I'd love us to pray just as the guys um, begin to worship. Uh, our, our prayer team are here, so if our prayer team want to come to the front and to the back, I'd love us to pray. We say this every week. It might be something that I've said, and it might not be. It might be just something that you're going through and you need prayer for, and that's why we'd love you to utilize our prayer team. But I've just sensed this morning that that little thing I talked about, behavior, um, overriding belief is really, really important to pray into. And because what's happening for some people in the room, you think you're behaving your way to heaven. 
and you can't behave your way to heaven. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And you're a really nice person. You're lovely. And um, you're a really good mom or a really good dad or you're a really good son or a really good daughter and you're a really good neighbor and you're a really good worker and you work hard in your community and you've kept all the rules. You behave really well. But your belief's just a little bit askew. And I would love to pray for you this morning because you can't behave your way to heaven. There was a guy on a cross beside Jesus and Jesus' last words to him that he heard was, today you'll be with me in paradise. He couldn't behave his way to heaven. Nobody can. It's by faith alone. In Christ alone. By grace alone. Nothing that we can add. And maybe you're in here this morning and you've never actually realized that before. Maybe you've never realized that your belief system is askew. And um, growing up with the rules, keeping the rules and regulations, there's a daunting verse in Judges 2 that says that there grew up after Joshua and all the elders died, there grew up a generation um, that didn't know God. They knew the rules, but they had no relationship. <laughs> they knew the rules, but they had no relationship. And it's your relationship that God is interested in this morning. And I want to pray for that. Would you stand with me? Would you stand if you're able? Let's stand together. We're going to worship. And just as we worship, can I say that or maybe our prayer team would come back and front. They're going to be at the front. They're going to be at the back. And um, I would love just as we sing this song again, just that you would realize there's a blessed assurance today. And the blessed assurance is that Jesus is yours. Maybe you just need that fresh assurance this morning. So God, I ask you just as we worship now that you would touch every heart in this room. Those that maybe just need to come this morning and say, I need to reaffirm my love for Jesus. Well, yes, I behave, but what I believe actually really, really matters. So God, would you come and minister in this house this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.